Welcome to the Coast Life Church Podcast. We exist to lead people to the abundant life in Christ. For a great way to stay connected throughout the week, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. Jesus. Well, welcome to church, everybody. I want to say a great big welcome to all of you that are joining us in the room today and for all of you joining us online. And hey, if today is your first day here, we hope that you found a place that you can belong. We want you to make Coast Life Church your home. And then we hope you come back. And so family, can we one more time just welcome all of our first-time guests in the room today? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are just so in awe. Just in awe of who you are. And God, we just are so thankful that we we can gather in a room like this and we can lift up your name we can sing praises and God today we're just open to receive whatever it is that you have for us God share something new with us today and may you always get the glory in Jesus name and everybody said amen well you guys can be seated So if we have not met, hi, (laughs) my name is Dana, I am the wife of our facilities director here at Coast Life Church, my one and only, Ryan Stoddard, yeah, got some fans in the room. So uh, fun fact about us, I actually met my husband when I was nine, we started dating when I was 16, and we just celebrated 20 years this year, so... And I don't know why it's taken me this long, but babe, I think you're the one. I think, I think this is it for me. We have two kids. Our son, he's 19. He's the one with the epic mullet that plays guitar up here. And then we have a, a daughter. We call her our stay-at-home daughter. She's 16. She just got her driver's license. And so at this point, if you decide to stay on the road, you have been warned. And I am not responsible for your decisions. Because Life Church has been home for my family and I for the past five years, I serve this house as the operations director, and I absolutely love what I get to do. We love this house. We love the people. And man, we love our pastors. And so I'm just going to brag on our pastors for a minute because I don't get this opportunity very often. So I'm just going to take full advantage and I'm just going to let you know that, you know, being on staff, I get to spend a lot of time with our pastors. I've been in their home and I have watched them be just incredible parents to uh, Jaden and Mackenzie. I've watched 
them just honor and love and respect each other as husband and wife. And I've been in some rooms with them where they have really challenged us as a leadership team because they have the biggest heart for this church. They are some of the greatest people that I know. And of all of the things that I have witnessed from our pastors, I can stand here today and say that they are the best pastors. They are the greatest friends. They are family to my family. And I am so thankful that God led our family here to serve under such incredible people. And I want you to hear this. Pastor Jason and Pastor Heidi love you. We talk about you guys all the time. Because their heart is that anybody who walks through those doors would know that regardless of your background, you have a place to belong. That you have a place. And our mission statement comes directly from their heart, which is that we would lead every single one of you into the abundant life that Christ has for you. And so would you just help me in giving the biggest honor to our pastors today? So we're wrapping up our collection of talks this weekend, uh, the summer, summer reading list. And over the last three weeks, we have had the leaders in our church share some of the books that they have recently read that have impacted their lives. And if you were not here for those, I would encourage you to go back and listen. You can go to YouTube, you can go to our podcast, and you can listen to them there. But today, I wanted to share a book with you that has really shifted my perspective on this word, generosity. And it's written by a man named Chip Ingram. Um, If you listen to Moody Radio, you've probably heard Chip teach. He's the founder and uh, CEO of Living on the Edge, which is a discipleship ministry. He's a pastor, he's a teacher, and he's an author of many books, including the book that I want to share with you today, which is called The Genius of Generosity. And Chip does such a great job of really laying out the reasons of why it is genius to be generous. Um, He gives us some practical ways that we can practice generosity in our lives. And then he shares his own personal story of how he became uh, a generous person. But before we go any further, I just want to get something out of the way. We're going to be talking about money today. It is okay to talk about money in the church. In fact, money is throughout the Bible, which means that God wants to have a conversation about it, and so we're going to honor his word, and we're going to actually talk about it. But I hope this isn't just another message about giving, because as I was reading this book and I was studying God's word, he was really challenging me to see generosity in a whole new way. And that's really my prayer for us today that we would be willing to set aside any preconceived ideas that we have about generosity, and we would allow God to show us something new. And so we're going to read a lot of scripture today. Um, We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And in this chapter, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to the church in Corinth about an offering that is being taken for the believers in Jerusalem. And there are many churches that are participating in this offering. And he's writing to instruct them on how they should, they should conduct the offering because they had asked. And so in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2, 
He says, now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. So Paul instructs them. He says, set aside a portion as you receive your income, set aside a portion so that when I come, we're not taking the the offering then. And then a couple of verses later, he would let them know that he was going to come visit them, but he was going to travel through Macedonia first. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is writing again to the church in Corinth, but this is a year later. And he's letting them know, I am coming to collect this offering. But he tells them what happens when he traveled through Macedonia. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 6. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So Paul is sharing this incredible act of generosity by the church in Macedonia, which when we read this portion of scripture and we we see that the church in Macedonia is poor, it actually doesn't make sense that they would participate in this offering because have you ever been broke? Like, I got 10 bucks for gas, I'm getting maybe two gallons today, broke. Have you ever been broken and someone asks you for money? It's like the worst because you don't want them to know you're broke, right? I do this with the Girl Scouts all the time. Um, you know, when you're walking into the grocery store and you see them and they're all set up and gosh, they're so cute. Well, I don't, I don't have any money. So I'm like, okay, don't make eye contact. And so I'm walking and I'm doing good. I'm not looking, I'm not looking, but they still get me. And I hear this sweet little voice. Would you like to buy some Girl Scout cookies? Yeek. I got a decision I need to make. Do I pretend like I didn't hear them? Or do I lie? I mean, I can't tell them the truth. What am I going to say? Sorry, girls, I'm broke. And I'm, I'm not going to ignore them. I'm not rude. And so I say, I would love to buy a box of cookies, but oh man, I'm all out of cash. Am I the only one in the room that's ever lied to a Girl Scout? That excuse doesn't work anymore, by the way, they take debit, so. (laughs) Well, when you're broke, the last thing you're thinking about is giving what little you have away. You're thinking about other things, like how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to buy food? I mean, generosity is not for me. That's for people with money. They have enough, so they can afford to give. This is what I used to think. And so when we would take an offering at church, which we don't do this here at Coast Life, but the bucket used to get passed down the rows, and so I'd be sitting in my seat, and I'd be looking down the row, you know, where is it at? 
And I'd see it coming towards me, and the closer it gets, I start to back away, like, nope, you can pass it. I'm just kidding. Sometimes we put what was in our pocket. But right, generosity, it's not for me. Let the ones with money give. But if we're going to be people who reflect God's heart, then we need to understand a few things about generosity. And the first thing we need to understand is this is that generosity is for everyone, not just a select few. When we read about the Macedonian church and their giving, it really challenges this whole idea of who gets to participate in being generous. That really regardless of how much we have, whether we're rich, we're poor, we're comfortable, we all have the ability to be generous. How so? Because you can have little, yet you can still have joy. And somehow we have convinced ourselves that if we're generous, it means that we're going to go without. That if we're generous, it means delayed happiness. Because what does happiness become? Our stuff. Like when I can buy the things I want, it makes me happy. Why do we buy nice homes, furnish them with nice things? Why do we buy nice cars? It makes us happy. But for how long? So I have this routine. About every six months or so, I like to clean out my closet. And my rule is that if I have not worn it in a year, then it goes into the donate pile. And then when I have a car full of donations, I will head to the donation center. I will drop off my stuff. I will get my ticket for my tax write-off. And then I will drive away and head straight to the store. I got to replenish my closet. I just gave all my stuff away. And what never really struck me is that the things that I had donated, they once made me happy. But the newness wore off. I'd stand in front of my closet and be like, I don't have anything to wear. They no longer made me happy. It's because our stuff, it doesn't produce long-term joy. If we look at verse 2, when Paul was writing about the Macedonian church, he says, they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Their joy, obviously it didn't come from what they have because they didn't have anything. Their joy came from serving God. It it came from hearing about a need in the church in Jerusalem and how they could be a part of fulfilling that need. Joy comes from us directing our resources towards the things of God, towards the things that matter to God. And I love how Chip puts it in his book. He says, how can we know what God's purposes are? Well, we can see some clear themes in scripture. One is the Great Commission. God is concerned about every lost person on this planet. He wants them to hear the gospel and come to know Jesus personally. If your money is going toward reaching lost people, it's going towards his purposes. The second key purpose is building up the body of Christ, which is the church. God wants every believer to grow to spiritual maturity and fulfill their purpose in him. When we give toward that end, we are using his resources for his purposes. And third... God is passionate about hurting desperate people. He is compassionate towards those in need. If we put our money into acts of compassion and justice for those who have deep 
physical, emotional, and spiritual needs, then our giving is aligned with his purposes. When we give towards the things that matter to God, we're expressing true generosity. And God's promises throughout the Bible is that he would richly bless our lives and supply us with all of our needs. That we can be filled with joy no matter how much stuff we have. And from that joy, we would become generous. Not with the intention to get, but out of thankfulness for all that God has done for us. See, we don't give to get the blessing of God. We give because we're already blessed. We have breath in our lungs, clothes on our back. And blessings, they don't always come in the form of material possessions. Remember, those things only provide us with temporary happiness anyway. But what God can bless you with is peace when you're facing a tough situation. He can bless you with friends who will hold your hands up when all you want to do is give up. He can even bless you with health, even though the doctor says, "Mm, it's not looking good. No matter how much we have or how little we have in our hands, all of us can be generous. The second thing we need to understand about generosity is that generosity requires us to put God before ourselves. In the book of Mark, Jesus would tell us about a woman who came to the temple to give her offering. And so Jesus, he's at the temple, he's with his disciples, and he's watching people give their offering, which means that the offering was not done in private. Like, you didn't get to stuff your envelope and put it in the container. You would have to walk up to where the offering container was, and then you would donate, and whoever was there got to see what you gave. And so Jesus, he's like, I want to see. I want to see what people are given. So he goes and he sits down where he has a really good view. And he sees people giving these large sums of money, but then he sees this woman who gives a penny. And this is what he says in Mark 12, 41 through 44. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. And many rich people put in large amounts. But then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Think about it. A widow who has only two copper coins, which would have been equal to a penny, shows everybody that day what it means to be generous. Even though I don't think any of us would have blamed her if she had skipped the offering that day. But she gave, regardless of how much she had, because she didn't want to miss out on giving to God. And Jesus, he's showing us that what this widow did was she gave to God before she considered her own needs. In fact, Jesus points out the giving of the wealthy, and he says they gave out of their surplus. They didn't give their first and best. They gave what they could afford to lose. They gave first to themselves, and then out of the overflow, they gave to God. But if we look at the Macedonian church in verse 3, Paul says, For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. 
They weren't forced to give. Both the widow and the Macedonian church gave out of really what they didn't have to give, yet they still chose to give to God before themselves. When I gave the example of donating the things in my closet, it was wise, but it wasn't generous. I gave the things I didn't want, not the things that I wanted. They were my leftovers. And I'm not saying we shouldn't donate. It is, it's a good thing to do. But I'm not going to call it generous when I put my needs before God. If we read the story of the widow, if we go back and we just imagine for a moment, because I think we can read this story and we can think that it was very easy for her to give, but it was everything she had. It was probably a really difficult decision. And so I imagine she's standing in front of the offering plate and she's got her two copper coins in her hand. Does she hesitate? Does she start to second guess? Should I give one coin or both? What was she thinking about in that moment? Was she thinking about how am I going to feed myself? How am I going to take care of myself? Is this how it's always going to be for me or is there something better? But at some point, she took her eyes off of her money and she looked up and she would have seen Jesus. And she would have known him. Because Jesus said that she was a widow and she was poor, which means that he knew her. She would have recognized who she had saw. She saw her provider in the room. And in that moment, she made the decision to give it all. And I think the reason that most of us have a hard time giving God our first is because we really have not accepted the fact that God is our provider. See, giving to God first is going to require some trust. It requires us to trust God. And in the same way, he wants to know that he can trust us. Luke 16, 10 through 3 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, but whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. How we handle our money, it's a test. God wants to know, do you trust me or your money? And when Jesus says that we cannot serve both God and money, what he's saying is pick God. <laughs> he is the better choice. He's, he's warning us that our money has the potential to pull our hearts away from God. In Mark 10, Jesus is approached by a very wealthy man who wanted to know what he could do to receive eternal life. And so Jesus gives him a pretty standard answer that this man would have understood. He says, just follow the commandments. Don't murder, 
commit adultery, don't steal, don't testify falsely, don't cheat, honor your father and mother. And the man goes, yeah, 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 I've done that ever since I was a little boy. And so Jesus gives him a second response. Mark 10, 21 through 22. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. This man's possessions had taken over his heart, so much so that to consider giving them away, even though it meant eternal life, was too much for him. He couldn't do it. He had allowed his possessions to become not only his source of happiness, but they had become his security. And I'll never forget a particular day. I was in my, my early 20s. Didn't have a lot back then. And I'm sitting at the park with my kids, and I'm waiting for other moms and, and their kids to show up. And as I'm waiting, I look across the park, and I see this couple. And they looked a little rough. I don't know what their story was, but they, they looked a little rough. And when I saw them, I, I, didn't, I wasn't worried about them. I just had like this burden for them. And I'll never forget this. I had $40 in my pocket. It was the only money that I had. I was a server at a restaurant at the time, and so this was my tip money from the day before. So I had worked really hard for this money. And I had plans for this money. I was going to take my kids to the zoo, maybe buy them a stuffed animal, get them some lunch. But as I'm watching this couple, I can hear God so clearly speak to me. He says, I want you to get up. I want you to walk over to this couple. I want you to give them $20 and tell them I love them. Simple, right? Man, I've never argued with God so fast in my life. Like, are you sure? God, I worked hard for this money. This money is spent already. But again, God in his persistence, get up, walk over to this couple, give them $20 and tell them that I love them. But me and my stubbornness, God, do not tell me to do this. I do not want to do this. I wrestled with that decision until it was too late. I never did give that couple $20. Why not? I didn't trust God. It was the first real test that I remember God giving me to see if I trusted him or the money in my pocket. To see if I had what it took to be generous. And y'all, I failed. Does this mean God withheld blessings from me because I didn't give that $20 away that day? No. God has blessed my life far beyond than I could have ever imagined. And I don't think this was so much a test that God wanted to see if he could trust me because I think God knew what I was going to do that day. This was a test for me. I needed to learn how to put God before myself so I could develop a heart of generosity. And maybe God is tugging on your heart. Maybe he's spoken to you about giving and you've been trying to ignore it. God has grace for you. But if you've never experienced what it's like to give, I just want to give us some practical ways that we can start to express 
generosity in our lives. And the first is this, that we give proportionally. When Jesus called his disciples over to watch the woman give her penny, he said she gave more than all the other people who were giving. How is that? She only had two copper coins. Because the proportion that she had given had so much more value. She gave 100%. What were the other ones giving? I don't know. It doesn't say. I mean, Jewish law would have said that the minimum was 10% when you tithe. So could we assume some of them were giving 10% that day? I don't know. And one of the most controversial topics in the Christian community when it comes to giving is the principle of the tithe. Giving your first 10% to God. And it's so interesting to me how we can argue over whether to give God 10% of our income when Jesus literally gives us an example with the poor widow of what giving to God can look like. And I'm not saying that Jesus wants every single one of us to give 100% of our income the next time we take an offering. I don't know, maybe he's saying that to you. But what we're saying is that each of us has an amount that we could give that would be proportionate to our income and would put God first. And so today, if you don't know where to start, start at 10%. For some of us, it'd be fairly easy to start giving 10%. Some of us, we'd have to go home, we'd have to rework our budget, maybe cut some expenses. That's what we had to do. But 10% is a good place to start. And then if you can do more, do more. The second is that we give regularly and systematically. Paul tells the Corinthian church, just as he had instructed the church in Galatia, to set aside a portion of their income the first day of every week. And the reason he says this is because in that day, wages were paid either daily or they were paid weekly. So Paul is not saying that there is some giving schedule that we all have to adhere to. What he's saying is set aside a portion of your income as you receive it. And so, if you get paid weekly, set it aside weekly. If you get paid monthly, set it aside monthly. This isn't about fulfilling some legalistic schedule. It's about putting God first. And this, it's not an exhaustive list. There are many ways that we can express generosity in our lives. But if we do these two things, give proportionately and give regularly, then you'll start to see God's provision in your life in a whole new way. Giving will be something that you look forward to, not out of obligation. And you'll find yourself looking for more ways to be generous. You'll start seeing the needs of the people around you and you'll want to help. This is the genius of generosity. It changes your heart. The third thing that we need to understand about generosity is that God was generous first. Everything we have and all that we are comes from God. Psalms 24, 1 through 2. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. And today we've been talking about money, but the word everything in this verse is all-inclusive. Our time belongs to God. 
Our home belongs to God. Our children belong to God. Even you belong to God. Even if you don't acknowledge it, it's still the truth. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Do you know where our ability to be generous comes from? It comes from a relationship with God. And before we can even consider giving our finances to Him, we need to give Him the thing that He wants the most. It's you. It's your heart. And for some of us in this room, we've never accepted God's generosity towards us. We're handling things on our own. We're working hard. We're trying to do the best we can to be good. May even feel like we got it all figured out. We've got a great job. We're making good money. We're doing good. Are you? You ever feel like you're striving to the point of exhaustion? Ever wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety because you're worried about how you're going to keep up with this life you've built? What about past regrets? Got any of those? <laughs> Things you've done that continue to haunt you? Yeah. It looks like we have it all together. But on the inside, we're all struggling with something. Maybe you're struggling with addiction. You've been numbing the pain for so long, you don't even know where the pain came from. It's just always been there. In your addiction, it's become routine for you. Struggle with anger? Man, it doesn't take much. Before you know it, that anger is rising up in you so fast, there is no way to stop it. So you just gotta let it take its course and deal with the regret later. Maybe you've considered the idea of ending it all. I don't say these things to condemn you. I just want you to know that there's a better way. You don't have to continue to struggle. God paid way too high a price for you to live this way. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. As a mother, I consider the price that God has paid for us because I cannot imagine giving my son's life in exchange for another. There is no scenario where I would ever consider it. He's my son. My job as a mom is to protect him. But God so loved the world. God so loved you before you even knew his name. God so loves you that even if you never accept the price that he paid for you, he still loves you. He will always love you. It's an unimaginable type of love. It's a love with no conditions. 
love that has nothing to do with how good we are and it takes into account nothing that we have done. God just loves. And because of that love, he did what had to be done. Instead of us paying the price for our sin, he sent his son to pay it. Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in the past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Bible says that not one of us is good. We all fall short of God's standards. But Dana, I'm a good person. I believe you try to be. But I also know that you don't always get it right. We mess up. We sin. And before Jesus came, the punishment for sin was death. It was eternity without God. What's eternity without God look like? Just turn on the news. You can see the injustice, the suffering, the pain. This is the eternity we deserve because this is the world that we have built based on our choices. But God so loved the world. Jesus was the only choice because he was perfect. He was sinless. And in the Old Testament, in order to be made right with God, there had to be a sacrifice, a spotless animal. Blood would have to be shed in order for us to be reconciled to God. And instead of it being ours, God sent his perfect sacrifice. Jesus took the punishment for our sin. The price has been paid. And God in his generosity offers it to us for free. All we have to do is believe. We just have to believe that Jesus took our punishment. The choice is ours. Would you stand with me in the room today? With every head bowed and every eye closed, 
I just want to give you an opportunity to accept what Jesus did for you. To invite him into your life. Let him change your heart. And so if you're ready to make that decision today, we're going to pray a simple prayer. And we're all going to say this in the room because you need to know that you're not alone. Church is a family. And we want to stand beside you when you make this decision. And so if you're ready today to make this decision, I want you to repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my world. Forgive me of my past. Wash away my sins. Make me a new person. Today I receive you as my leader and my Lord, and I will never be the same. Come on, declare it. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, can you give God a shout of praise in the room? If you just prayed that prayer, what we want to ask you to do something. I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, if you're in the room today and you made that decision, I want you to shoot your hand up and say, today is the day that I gave it all. If you're joining us online and you made that decision, I want you to type JESUS in all caps. But don't, don't hesitate in this moment. I know it's easy sometimes to want to just be in the shadows and be in the background. But a life with God, it's amazing. It's something that we should be excited about. It's something we should want to share. And so on the count of three, I want you to lift your hands and confess that today you made Jesus your Lord. And so church, I'm going to ask that we let a little faith rise up in this room. Come on, we are celebrating with heaven. And so on the count of three, if you made that decision, ready? One, two, three. All across the room, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Type Jesus in all caps. Welcome to the family of God. Hey, thank you for joining us, and a special thank you to those of you who give so faithfully and generously to this church. It's because of people like you that podcasts like this are possible, and you can click the link in the description to give now, or you can visit mycoastlifechurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love it if you subscribed, share it with your friends. So thank you for listening, and God bless you.